and lover of all things lit, professional reviewer, recommender, book blogger. I am your host, Lloyd Russell, aka The Book Sage, and you're listening to Lit with Lloyd, courtesy of KCAT Radio. Greetings. Welcome to Lit with Lloyd. I am your host, Lloyd Russell. Uh, and as always, uh, I want to thank KCAT for uh, sponsoring us and uh, uh, making this thing happen. Uh, tonight is a special treat for me. Uh, I have an author here that I've known for quite a few years and who has a special place in my book club history. Uh, his name is Michael David Lucas, uh, and um, uh, you're going to be enjoying what he has to say. So welcome, Michael. Uh, it's great to see you. It's my pleasure. Thank Thanks you. for having me. Okay. Uh, so before we get into any questions, you know, while it's still about me, um, I, I just want to tell everybody that we have been, we've had our book club at Recycle Bookstore since September of 2014. However, we had it for eight months prior to that at a, another local bookstore uh, that uh, didn't last real long, unfortunately, but uh, our very first book club uh, meeting was in January of 2014 there, and you were our first author. Uh, and then, then you came to, to uh, recycle to the RBC. I think it was for our five-year anniversary. Does that mm -hmm. sound about right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we've had the, uh, the pleasure of having you twice. But the thing I don't remember is how did we find you for that very first one? That's a good question. I have no idea. Uh, me neither. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I have no idea why I would have contacted you to come to the very first meeting, which is now, next month, it'll be nine years. Wow. Well, yeah. you have to have me back for 10-year anniversary. <laughs> that works for me. <laughs> All right. So speaking of having you back, of course, we want you back, you know, because you're an author. So you've written two books. Um, in 2011, you published uh, Oracle of Stambul. Um, and then, yeah, voila. <laughs> uh, and Oh, I forgot the, the the Oracle of Stambul. And then in 2018, you published The Last Watchman of Cairo, correct? Yes. Okay. Last Watchman of Old Cairo. Oh, I missed the old. Okay. But that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad you corrected me. Yeah. Uh, is there a third book that you're working on? There's a third book I'm working on. I'm almost done with it. Really? Yeah, it's with my agent. So oh. now it's just kind of, you know, that can be a short process or it can be a long process. Yeah. So I'm not counting any chickens, but uh, I'm, I'm glad to sort of feel like it's out of my hands for the time being. Wow. Okay, so your first book was picked up by... Um, Random House. No, the second Harper book was Collins. Ran Harper yeah. Collins, and then the second one, Random House. Yeah. As an unknown author and with a, a debut novel, how did you get uh, tied to such a big publishing company? Um, well, the book was really good. Yes, it was. <laughs> and is. Um, no, I'm just kidding. No, I, no, that, no. that may be true. But no, it is true. I, what I did was, and what I tell my students to do, is to make a list of agents. Um, at the time in 2011, 
there weren't quite as many resources available on the internet as there are today. <laughs> um, so what I did was I just reached out to any friends that I had who knew anything about the industry and I asked them, who would you want to be your agent? And then I asked, um, or then I looked at all my favorite books and if you look in the back of a book, there's always the acknowledgement uh-huh. section or sometimes in the front. And any author worth their salt will thank their agent. Yes. Because <laughs> your agent is your best friend um, in the publishing industry, at least. And so I sort of expanded my list from there and then basically just sent out, you know, the query letters, the query yeah, letters yeah. and got some responses and. I was lucky enough to get a good response from my number one agent. And after I got that, I emailed everyone and said, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I kind of went from there. So you got your, you actually got your first choice. Yeah. She's, she's amazing. So she's, I owe everything to her wow. in the world. And yeah. she still is obviously your agent. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you said is. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So your agent gets it and we know, with the, the process, but how did your agent get you published? At that point, you know, it's just her fairy agent magic that she does. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't really speak to that, but you know, she knows publishers, she knows editors, she puts it in their hands. And then uh, there was a couple folks who were interested, talked to them on the phone. We didn't have Zoom at that point, or if we did, no one was using it. Um, and yeah, and then found found my publisher, and you know, similar process for the second one. Okay, so you had a one book deal, I take it. Mm-hmm. Uh, did your first publisher did they have did they have any kind of right of refusal on on the next one you did or anything like that? You know, I I wanted a process you know you read all these stories about like f scott fitzgerald or you know uh vladimir nabokov like having these like amazing back and forths with their editors (laughs) and um or even more recent authors but so i kind of had this idea that i was gonna send my editor at the time the manuscript and we were going to go back and forth with it. So it wasn't completely done. And I don't think she recognized that. And it may not have just <laughs> been the book that she wanted, but yeah, so she wasn't, she passed on it and it ended up finding a, a great home with another house and did pretty well. So, you know, I was happy with how it ended up. Yeah. All right. So when you had your second one, mm-hmm. um, did you go to your first pub or did your agent go to your first publisher? Mm-hmm. And they passed. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was just saying. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. I got confused between the first and the second. Okay, um, and so once the first one was uh, had passed, then she she started looking for others. Yeah, and got another big a big publisher. Yeah, so alhamdulillah. <laughs> they say. <laughs> so what's now? Is your agent getting ready now to? to find a publisher for the third one? Yeah, she's, you know, she's reading it, seeing, you know, how it lands with her. And then, like I said, it can be a short process or a long process. She can either say, hey, I'm ready to send it out. Or she can say, you know, take another few months and (laughs) sort of get these parts in order and (laughs) 
you know, make this character more believable or whatever that might be. So you're waiting to hear back on yeah. what her thoughts are. There's a lot of there's a lot of waiting, I've realized, <laughs> in this game. And and what I've started doing, which is which is kind of what saves me because there is so much waiting, is while I'm waiting on a project or even while I'm letting a project sit, because I find it's really useful just to let a project sit for a few months. You can approach it from a new angle when uh. you uh when you kind of haven't been working on it every day in and day. Yeah, out. yeah, yeah. Um, and so when I'm doing that, I'll just work on something else. Um, so I, I started working on my fourth book. Oh, good. And then I've also been working on a nonfiction piece kind of about my grandma. Ah, that would be an actual book or a novella or a little memoir? More, or just like an article. An article. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. So right now I'm reading her love letters to my grandpa, ah. <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, really sweet and a certain level and also kind of cringy on another level. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We, we won't delve into that any further. No, uh, that's perfectly <laughs> fine. Yes. Uh, OK. Uh, Tell us a little bit, not us, because I know, but tell the, tell our listeners and viewers what the first two books are about mm. and and Ava, I'm curious about this because I don't remember the answer and what sent you to those parts of the world mm. <laughs> so the first book uh, is about a little girl who becomes an advisor to the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire and maybe changes the course of history <laughs> and the kind of background of that book is that I was living in Tunisia at the time, um, which I think was a part of the Ottoman Empire, but not <laughs> like a really important part. Um, and I had just finished a project, um, or I just sent off my applications to uh, MFA programs. And for the first time in a long while, I didn't know what I was going to write about. And I remember one afternoon, it was in the middle of the Iraq war. Um, I was kind of feeling caught in between my friends at home who were like, you know, is there Al Qaeda in Tunisia? And then my friends in Tunisia who are like, why is the United States bombing Iraq? Like what the heck is going on here? Uh -huh. And, and feeling helpless, you know, just feeling really helpless about, how history was progressing um helpless to affect any sort of change and you know i was there on a rotary scholarship was supposed to be bridging a gap of understanding between the united ah. states and the arab world and felt like i was completely failing in that <laughs> that effort um so i was on a run um and just had this image of a little girl playing backgammon with an older man maybe it was two older men anyways and i didn't know anything more about her i didn't know where she was when she was who she was any any question word about her um so i just kind of like stored that away maybe did a little bit of writing on it but i i was stuck you know i i because i couldn't answer those kind of fundamental questions so i couldn't really write into the story and 
then my time in Tunisia came to an end. Uh, and I was supposed to go visit my ex-girlfriend at the time, my ex-girlfriend, I was still visiting her in, in Uzbekistan where she was doing the Peace Corps. And I don't want to get too deep in the details, but essentially <laughs> I couldn't get a visa for Uzbekistan because there's no Uzbek embassy in Tunisia. Huh. So I went to the huh. Russian embassy and they're like, what are you doing here? <laughs> this is not part of our country anymore. And then they said, you need to go to Istanbul, get a visa for Uzbekistan, and then go to Uzbekistan. So I bought a ticket. I had a plane ticket to Uzbekistan that went through Istanbul. And I got I had two days to get this visa. And I, you know, hustled around the city, went all over the place. I had you know, the address for the Uzbek embassy in Istanbul in my lonely planet. I like went to the street, couldn't find it, really spent all, all, all of two days trying to find this thing and couldn't even find it. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go. And so I somehow talked my way onto the flight. And when I got there, as soon as I got there, they were just like, no, you cannot come into this country because you don't have the right visa and there's all these like little details but <laughs> essentially my ex-girlfriend was coming from where she lived to Tashkent and the bank where she was trying to get money where she needed money to get me some sort of thing had ran out of money like they didn't have any money in this bank and so I ended up being kicked out I tried to call the embassy I staged a little sit-in <laughs> And then finally they hustled me onto the plane. And I still remember this old lady on the plane was just like shaking her like shoe at me when I got on the plane because I had delayed the plane for an hour. Uh, and then I f was back in Istanbul. And I, you know, had a week there with, with nothing to do. You know, I, I was not planning to be there. I was planning to be in Uzbekistan. Yeah. And so I just kind of wandered around the city and really fell in love with it. And one day, and I, each day I kind of went to a different neighborhood. One day I went to this one neighborhood that's filled with junk stores. It's also famous for this one little pastry, kind of like, <laughs> you know, uh, cheesy, flaky pastry so I got my cheesy flaky pastry had some tea and then I started going to all these junk stores and I, I love going to junk stores and um, these were like the perfect kind of you know not super curated just like stuff piled on top of stuff and I remember this stack of photographs in a crystal punch bowl and somewhere near the top of the stack was a picture of this little girl leaning against uh, kind of like a pillar at one of these, you know, professional photography studios uh -huh. that they had then. And she just had such a self-possessed kind of calm, wise look in her eyes. And I knew right away that, you know, this was my protagonist. Oh, wow. And then the time and place obviously fell into place from there. And, you know, it was kind of like 
dominoes falling wow. at that point. All right. Uh, there's more to talk about, but we sure. got to take a quick break. <laughs> uh, we will be right back with uh, Michael David Lucas. Thank you to the city of Montessorino for their continued support of KCAT Public Media. The city of Montessorino has enabled KCAT to inspire, educate, entertain, and inform our community through the magic of television and digital media for over 38 years. Thank you. And we are back with Michael David Lucas. Uh, okay, that's that is really a fascinating story. No, no, don't smile. I'm not going to minimize it. <laughs> However, what made you what made you take this rotary gig in Tunisia? What sent you to Tunisia in the first place? That's a good question. You know, I I wanted to go. I got this rotary scholarship, yeah, which was going to fund me to you know study Arabic, which is what I wanted oh, to okay, do at the okay. time. Okay, okay. I'd studied Arabic in college and wanted to, you know, improve my Arabic. And I had to go to a country that had a rotary club ah. <laughs> and didn't and that I hadn't been to before. Ah, okay. So I, I'd, I'd studied abroad in Egypt. I would have gone back to Egypt, but I couldn't go back to Egypt. And so I ended up going to Tunisia. Huh. Morocco has a Rotary Club, but there was some reason they couldn't go to Morocco. <laughs> Tunisia was literally the only option. <laughs> okay, well, since you've mentioned Egypt, the second book mm -hmm. takes place in Cairo. Yep. How? Why? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, you know, they call Cairo the mother of the world. It's the center of the Arab world. It's a cradle of civilization. <laughs> I studied abroad there. Those are, you know, some wow. of the reasons. And so I could tell the story of the book's genesis also. It's, you know, there's, yeah, some, please. there's some coincidences, there's some twists and turns. Um, so I studied abroad mm. in, in Cairo. While I was in Cairo, I started writing this book about a, a, an American student studying abroad in Cairo. Um, and, you know... Oh, no, no, there wasn't until afterwards. Sorry, let me back up a little bit. Um, I was in Cairo, and it was during the Second Intifada. Um, and I was feeling really kind of unsure, like in Tunisia, about being an American. There was all these protests, uh, being Jewish. I felt really, you know... Disconnected, <laughs> disconnected from that sense of myself and at the same time was having this amazing time right I loved the city I was going to a new neighborhood every every week similar to when I was in Istanbul it's one of the friendliest cities I've ever been to you know you walk down the street people invite you into their home wow. they try and get you to sit down and have some of their lunch and um, it just really was a great place at that time and place and for who I am or who, you know, I am externally, it was phenomenal and, and just 
very uh, welcoming and and full of life and it's kind of got these layers of history and it's falling apart and it's busy and it's noisy and it's it's got so much um but i couldn't square that love of the city with my sort of sense of myself as you know an american and also particularly as an american jew and that was just kind of something that was like a little craw in my in my throat or yeah yeah mouth or whatever um and then one day i happened upon um this neighborhood called old cairo wandering around and I came to this uh, graveyard walking through this graveyard kind of checking it out and I realized that some of the names on the graves were uh, Jewish names or what I sort of thought were Jewish yeah, yeah. names and and then I saw some Hebrew on some of the gravestones and then I kept walking and realized that this graveyard is like nearby a synagogue and I had kind of known that there were synagogues in Cairo and that there had been Jews in Cairo, but it never really like, you know, I never really put two and two together. And so I heard this tour guide talking about thousands of years of Jewish history in Cairo. And that just, you know, hit me like there were Jews living here for thousands of years. You know, which you don't really hear about much. You don't hear about no. it ever. You know, if you think about the how established a Jewish community is in the United States. We've been here for 350 years, <laughs> you know? So, um, I kind of got really interested in the synagogue. I got really interested in the community. And when I came home, started writing this book. That's when I started writing it. That became my thesis and for undergrad about a young Jewish American studying abroad in Cairo, yeah. <laughs> you know, trying to kind of like make my experience into into my first book. Um, but it just wasn't working. So that's what I used to apply to MFA programs with. And then I set it aside because it just wasn't working. And I wrote the Oracle. And when the Oracle was done and about to come out, I started thinking about, well, what's my next book going to be? And I kind of had that book in the back of my head, like the Cairo book, but I also kind of felt like I had given up on it and maybe wanted to write something new. And as this was all sort of swirling around in my brain, um, I happened to go on this plane trip to, I forget where I was going, but it was a cross-country plane trip. And I remember sitting down, it was before earbuds, but I had my ear, <laughs> ear headphones, <laughs> Put my headphones in was kind of trying to like zone out because as as I like to say, there's two kinds of people in the world, those who like to talk on planes and those who don't. <laughs> and I'm definitely in the don't category. But the woman who sat across from me was or next to me was like very much in the do category. So she was very sweet, older South Asian lady. Um, and very persistent. <laughs> she kind of wore me down and we talked a lot and she was super interesting. She had moved from Calcutta to Madison, uh, Wisconsin when she was a young woman. She talked about being the only Indian woman in, you know, as what she felt all of Wisconsin, which probably wasn't <laughs> true. Um, 
And, you know, then we started talking about my books. I was telling her about the Oracle. She really loved that idea because she was Muslim and she loved the idea of like, you know, this Muslim sultan and a Jewish girl kind of getting along. Um, And she, I told her about, um, I think maybe I started talking about the synagogue in Cairo, right? Somehow we got on the topic of synagogues and and she said you know my uh cousins are watchmen of the synagogues in Uh. calcutta there are these two synagogues that are right next to each other and her family had been watchmen of these synagogues for generations you know passed from father to son they were uh bengali muslims and had watched over these jewish synagogues um, and in that moment, I was like, oh, I like that. <laughs> uh, so I excused myself, went to the bathroom and wrote, you know, the sketch of what would later wow. become the last watchman oh on the little cocktail napkin. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Yeah. And I never got to thank her. <laughs> I mean, I did thank her. I said, thank you. I helped her with her bag or whatever. Yeah. But, um, you know, you're I, not a contacter. I had no idea how yeah. to contact her. Oh but gosh. I actually went to that um, synagogue in or those synagogues in, in Calcutta. And they're really amazing. And wow. You know, wow. there's still a Jewish bakery in Calcutta that's run by so it was, uh, Nahum's, I think is its name. And it was sold by the, you know, old Jewish family that ran it for a long time to the head baker, who was a a Hindu guy. And so this Hindu guy is now in in the in this market in Calcutta is like making halas. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much stuff we just never know or hear about. Yeah, that is crazy. All right, so this is kind of random. Mm-hmm. But in Tahoe, okay. there is a swimming pool at State Line that has said half is in Nevada and half is in California. Yeah. So we know that Istanbul is also in Europe yeah. and in Asia. Is there, a, is there a dividing line that you cross to go from one continent to the other? Mm. Well, <laughs> probably the Bosphorus. I mean, the Bosphorus is what is okay. the... Is, I don't know if there's a spot in the middle of the Bosphorus where <laughs> you're in Asia and then you're in Europe, but... Um, yeah, there's no imaginary line like I like we I've seen in Tahoe. I, I mean, maybe <laughs> the like tourist touts sort of make it seem like there is, but I think the Bosphorus is kind of in between Europe and Asia. Okay. <laughs> uh, how much do you want to tell us about Book Three in terms of what it is and where it takes place? Mm. So, with books, so for, with the first one set in Istanbul. The second one set in Cairo. Um, you know, they both have their place in the title, so it's very yeah, clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this third one, I wanted to write about um, the future. Because I was thinking a lot about while I was writing The Last Watchman. thinking you know, during the Trump years, during this kind of rise of anti-Semitism, during all this stuff that's going on, you know, the past eight or 10 years, whatever, um, I got kind of obsessed with thinking about this synagogue in Cairo, right? Which is 
this there there is a synagogue that gets used for services, but this particular synagogue, which is uh, a thousand years old, is totally unused. It's just a tourist attraction. So then I got thinking, like, what are the synagogues in San Francisco and New York and L.A. and wherever else going to look like in 300 years? You know, are they going to be tourist attractions? Are they going to be there? And I got really interested with this idea and that kind of spiraled off um, through this New York Times article about Benjamin Netanyahu giving a present to Barack Obama and the present was the book of Esther, the biblical book of Esther. So I was like, why would Barack, why would Netanyahu give Obama this present? Started investigating the book of Esther and I realized what an amazing, weird book about revenge and cycles of violence. And, you know, because I don't know if you know anything about the the book of Esther, the poor the holiday of Purim it's it's basically like the Jewish Halloween with a lot of drinking (laughs) you're supposed to get you're supposed to dress up there's like a there's a passion play sort of acting out of the of the story and you're supposed to get so drunk that you can't tell the difference between the hero and the villain Uh. so it's really a story about what is good and what is evil and what's the line between them and how can you differentiate? Um, and it's a story about, you know, the main character Esther is this young girl. She's like 12 years old. She's beautiful. She becomes a queen and saves the Jewish people from a sort of evil plot against them. But for most of the book, she's just an immature teenager (laughs) and she doesn't want to take responsibility for anything besides herself. So it's really kind of a coming of age where she realizes the responsibility that she has beyond herself to her community and to, you know, humanity at large. Um, so I got really interested in in that book and what it might mean to, to tell that story in a different context. Uh. It's also the only book or one of two books in the in the Hebrew Bible that takes place in the diaspora. Oh, okay. So I was interested in like exploring those sort of themes with that. And so that's the long answer to say that it's a retelling of the book of Esther set in a post-apocalyptic future. Oh, wow. Oh, that and sounds great. Thank you. Uh, it's... It, yeah, I don't want to get too deep no, no, into it, no, but, no. but that, that's, that's probably enough. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, um, side note, if you're looking for any early readers once you've got it settled. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm in. Definitely. Uh, you, you mentioned right at the beginning about what you tell your students. Uh, where do you teach and what do you teach? Hmm. I teach creative writing at San Francisco State. Um, it's a really great program. It draws on folks from all over the Bay um, and sometimes beyond. Um, and it's just, I, I find it really a fun group of students to teach. Everyone is, you know, working on their books and learning and coming together. And yeah, I just find it really gratifying to, to 
teach students and to kind of engage with. For a long time, I was just writing, and there's something nice about that. Like right now, I'm I'm not teaching, and and I appreciate <laughs> that freedom and just being able to focus on my own stuff. But it can get a little bit of like an echo chamber sometimes in your head when you're just sitting in front of a computer, yeah, working on creating the world that you yourself built. Yeah. You know, well, it's you nice know, to get outside that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Um, and I would imagine though, that, that your students are writing things and submitting them to you and it must be awfully hard to, to write your own stuff when that, when all that's going on, especially yeah. as the semester kind of, uh, comes to the end and you know, all the, the stuff is, is due. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I feel like it's important to be realistic. I tell this to my students too. It's important to be realistic about, about what you can accomplish because you don't want to go into something, setting yourself up to not do the pages that yeah. you want to do. Yeah. Um, and it's important to have boundaries. I had a professor in my MFA who I kind of think didn't read our work. (laughs) Um, And was pretty unresponsive. And I feel like the lesson I really learned from him is to, is to set those boundaries and to, you know, he took it too far Uh because he wasn't a very good teacher, but, (laughs) but like to, to, to just be, aware of what you need to do to kind of feed your own writing practice and, and do that, you know, and, and wall off that, that yeah. time. Cause I could spend all day teaching. Um, you really enjoy it. Yeah. I really enjoy it. And you know, you, there's always another email to answer, always <laughs> another story to read and, and that's great. But you know, with young kids, I feel like it's, you can only work until a certain time because then you have to go pick them up. Um, but it's nice. I started working at night and I, I do a lot of my teaching work at night. Okay. Yeah. Um, and how many years have you been doing it? Gosh, about four or five now. Okay. Yeah. And and you see that continuing. Yeah. Indefinitely into the future. Hopefully. Yeah. Good. That's great. Um, so where where is the third book actually going to take place? Mm. I had a I have a place in my mind. Um but I don't want to say it okay. because I okay. I you know it, it, at a certain point it was important where it was set. Now it's kind of set. I could say there was a class in my undergrad <laughs> called um you know the golden age of Islam from the Nile to the Oxus rivers um and so i can say it's in between the nile and the oxus rivers somewhere somewhere in there yeah uh, between <laughs> you know egypt and afghanistan <laughs> uh and, and will it will it or did it require you to go back out there no i mean i i've taken a few different trips but um and i went to cairo right before the last watchman was published and um but yeah most of it happened in my mind (laughs) Uh, and I take it you do speak Arabic yes and you also speak Hebrew yeah neither of them neither of them super well but you know (laughs) I assume you're not going to attest me so I'm not not (laughs) you're safe there (laughs) good (laughs) 
Wow, that's fantastic. Uh, with your big publishers, I'm going to guess that your books um, are available in both audio and e mm-hmm. forms. Yep. Uh, and we've talked to a number of authors that when they had big publishers, they had very little say in who the narrator was or what the book cover looked like. Is that true for your books as well? Um, yeah, I had. You can say no, I think, but you don't want to say no too much. And <laughs> there's actually been a few times that I've said no, and then they said sorry. <laughs> but um, I've been lucky enough to have. Um, really amazing covers i think oh Um, i love this one yeah and the other one is actually not too dissimilar from that um and then awesome book narrators really um there was a, a the woman who narrated the oracle uh i was literally last night watching um the tv show on hulu fleischman is in trouble we're watching that too. And one of the, and, and when the, it, it was the episode where Christian Slater is a guest star. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. And, and then there was a second guest star and I was like, I really recognize that name. And I kind of went back on, you know, the whatever and typed in her name to Google and realized that she was the narrator oh my of gosh. the Oracle. Oh. And she plays uh, Fleischman's, like, kind of one of his girlfriends. What's her name? Mohan uh, Marno, I think. Okay, is her name. wow. How, that's, that's a trip. Yeah, and she, <laughs> she was an amazing narrator and she's a great actor. Um, and then for the second book, uh, the guy who narrated it had, like, a New York Times magazine cover story about. How he was like the greatest audiobook narrator of all time. <laughs> so, uh, Eduardo Ballerini. Huh. Uh, people like so, literally just like listen to books that he narrates because they love his voice. So, well, I thought maybe it was self proclaimed that he was yeah. the best one. <laughs> <laughs> He's very good. Yeah. I mean, I don't huh. know. Um, so, I've been really lucky on that on that front. Will you, for the third book, would, will your agent um, look into smaller publishers or is, is she just going to go for the, because there are less big guys, you know, every year it seems. Yeah. But aren't there just three now? I think there's four because that merger got blocked. Ah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I, I just kind of leave it to her and, and I imagine she'll be looking at some of the smaller, the bigger, smaller ones and the smaller, bigger ones. Yeah, and, you yeah, know, yeah. You've got to sort of spread it wide now. I think okay. you're right. Um, we are just about out of time, but there's one thing that I would like to ask you about. Um, I know that you that your wife has uh, a nonprofit. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that you're involved in it as well. Um, would you mind just telling us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so four years ago now, uh, my wife was diagnosed with colon cancer. Um, about my youngest daughter was six months old and Mm. my older daughter was three at the time. Um, and as you can imagine, it was Um, really, really difficult. Can't even conceive of it. Um, and so many people came and helped us and I have family in the area and we have a lot of friends and, 
everyone came together and was so supportive. But at the same time, it was, you know, one of the worst times of my life. And, and one of the things that I really felt was just alone. You know, it felt like I was on, we were on an island together and, and all these people were kind of trying to help us across yeah, yeah, the yeah, sea. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so thankfully she is doing well so far so good, good as they good. say and and she ended up um leaving her job and starting this nonprofit called Bright Spot Network that um helps out uh families where one of the parents um has cancer and it's been amazing they give out grants to folks who you know have financial instability which is one of the big things that people are dealing with on top of the actual disease and the treatment. Um, they give out free books to families to help kids talk about, you know, scary things and big emotions. They have support groups. Um, they have all these like video series to sort of like where therapists like tell you, how do you talk to kids? How do you tell them that you have cancer? How do you talk to your teachers like all the things yeah, that yeah. we wish that we had had when we we're going through this she's sort of created so um yeah brightspotnetwork.org they're um, a great organization and um there's lots of ways to plug in you know if folks out there need support or if they want to support the uh the organization well congratulations uh, to her and also to you uh for making something positive out of something that's obviously quite negative. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a good thing. Thank you. Um, all right. So um, keep in mind that you'll be coming to our book club when number oh, yeah. three is out. <laughs> uh, and I, 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 this has been such a treat for me to, to be able to see you again and talk to you and, and get caught up with you. So th thanks again for, for coming all the way down here. It's my pleasure. Good. All right. All right. Uh, that, um, we are closing the book on today's podcast. Again, I want to thank KCAT for all that they do for our show. Uh, if you would like to uh, watch or listen to this podcast and others that we've done, you can go on Lloyd.show and uh, you can pick and choose. Uh, so we'll see you next time. Thank you. You just heard Lit with Lloyd here on KCAT Radio. Explore all our KCAT original programming at kcat.org slash radio.